Thanks for coming, folks. Um, I am a cartoonist. Uh, I don't know why I decided to release a book that has an unpronounceable title, but I sometimes call it Love, or I call it Love. Some people call it Love F, and some people call it L-O-V-F, and all of those are fine, and that was my fault for uh, not having a more pronounceable title. But you know, all the good, all the good names are gone. I am a cartoonist. Um, this book I would call sort of a hybrid between a graphic novel and a sketchbook. It was, uh, it started out as a sketchbook. It was a, this size, in fact. Um, this is not the actual book. The actual book has completely fallen apart at this point, but I had this with me during a, a time that was uh, really tough for me. I was having a, a nervous breakdown. I had recently been diagnosed with bipolar mood disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder, and then some more unpleasant things happened, and I decided to leave where I was living, which was Portland, Oregon, Oregon and go to New York and when I got there about five days later I went to refill my meds because they had just started me on some uh, mood stabilizers and antidepressants and I found out I couldn't renew my meds while I was in New York and not only that but I never planned to leave New York I had kind of no plan this these are things that happen to you when you are on a manic spree so uh, thus began my journey um, which uh, I didn't document at the time. It was a really tough time for me. It was about three months that I was homeless and on the road. I started in New York. I came out to LA, went up to San Francisco, then to Seattle and Portland. Um, and But the whole time I sort of drew down uh, things that I saw, things that in my head or things that I saw out in the world, um, just ideas and wrote down quotes that other people said, uh, did a lot of collaborations with other cartoonists and artist friends that I knew. Um, and at the end of it, I had kind of this half-finished book, and I didn't know what to do with it. And But it did kind of evoke a lot of uh, ideas for me and, and memories about the trip. So I went back in and kind of pasted a story over the top of it. I'm going to read a little selection tonight, which is uh, begins right after I came from New York to L.A. So hence the big introduction uh, this uh, piece begins with, with uh, yeah, I'm going to throw you right into it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Is there a clicker, or how should I do it? Should um, I just do it here? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> this proves how old I am. <laughs> when I was a kid, they only had like four buttons. <laughs> no. Which one? Which one? Is it this? Yeah. No. This is the cover I drew after the fact. That's me. I gave I gave it the subtitle because really, what what does that book title evoke? It doesn't really evoke anything. And I thought it was kind of punny because I said it was illustrated and literally, and comics are drawn and they're written. But of course, these days everyone's misusing the word literally, so everybody took me to task for that. Like, did that really mean you took your brain out and left it on the subway? But what is a mind? It's not a brain. Right? Uh, can you, everybody hear me? I guess I might not speak into the microphone, so I can stand over here. Let me know if you don't hear me. I'm kind of loud. What? Oh, yeah. Hey. Mm. No. Podcast, that's right. Okay. You, you can just skip over that part. I saw how to do that on This American Life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Woo, now I'm going to beatbox. 
Um, uh, this, I'm not really going to read this page. I just wanted you to look at it. I, this was a collaboration with a friend of mine who's an L.A. artist named Sean Waco. He said he was going to be here tonight with some friends, but... Hmm. Let's start with a different drawing next time. There's bees in my eyes. I'm running blind in the backyard of my middle school years. I lived there again with my dad after high school, after I dropped out of college the first time. Other kids from school are there too, Alan, Craig, Mike. They're playing sports. I can't play because I'm crying. This is a real dream I had. Scary, right? I'm crying because there's bees in my eyes. I had this thought when I was in LA, when I was a little unstable, that everyone here, they, they want to look good and, and feel nice here. That seems like a different thing in LA. And then I was like, that's not so bad. What's wrong with looking good and feeling nice? <laughs> Why was I so crabby about it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I never figured out what that dream meant. Anybody can help me out. There must be a pun, right? It's a rebus. It's a B. It's an I. I don't know. I had to go to LA. Why LA? It was my personal quest, a journey to discovery, and I had already effed it up once. Shagadolik, the latest in exclamations. I didn't really hear anybody say those things. I just, I just internalized that, you know. Externalized that, I mean. You know you want to. Postmodernism was an affect of late 20th century narcissarchy, a navel-gazing tick of the ruling me generation. I was always good at breaking things apart, not to see how they worked, but how they failed. Combining the narcissarchy, I had this thought that, that the baby boomers, of which were my parents' generation, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but they were the me generation, right? And they encouraged us all to just think about ourselves. Combining self-empowering, civil, righteous American individualism with a post-colonial quest for self-actualization, this generation, with the total focus of a yogi army, blazed a trail inwards. The clouds and the jets from LAX create a net over Hollywood. Your love is real. Your lies are not. Your love is based on lies. This was also a collaboration with a, with a LA artist and cartoonist. Who, who did show up, Trevor Nystrom? <laughs> Friends took turns putting up with me and putting me up. I was starting to view my quest as a recon mission to discover which pals I'd met over four decades could accommodate my mental illness now in its full bloom. Glass of water? Beer? A wolf upside down? Yes, thanks. Chris gave me a couch and half his freelance job drawing a kid's coloring app. We worked in a timeless haze of California grass with dubstep blasting, brotherhood in our nerd Valhalla. I stopped asking for things and instead waited for them to be offered. I couldn't talk to people anyway. My emotions and my thoughts were all scrambled. The artist as misanthrope. Hermeneutically sealed in a shack, fortress, or shadowy trailer, issuing a satiric screed in the service of societal condemnation, the artist as a keeper of the sacred truth, a beacon issuing the one clarion mantra that discourages, humanity is a failure, sit and wonder at your loss. And then I thought to myself, this is the kind of brain speed only good for making up anagrams and cross-hatching. Give me one word and I'll fill up a Bible. 
And then I decided I wasn't a misanthrope, I was a courtesan. So if anyone wants to take me home later, just let me know. Oh boy, that's hard to read. This was a collaboration uh, with another LA artist named Helen Jo. Um, she's worked on some cartoon shows. Friends at Cartoon Network showed me how my skills in cartooning could be applied to high-paying animation jobs. Maybe what I came to LA for was a cure for my chronic poverty. I played with the markers and pens of my hosts, coercing myself to draw before I had to give them up and move on. Loth was a concretion of all the pigments, ephemera, visions, ideas, and conversation bits that I left behind. I bought a half ounce of grass, enough for a month at least, and took a storyboard test. They gave me a week, but I finished it in three days. I also smoked all the grass. <laughs> um, yeah. This is a portrait of Oakland, California. It's a little comic about a relationship I may have had or not. Do you like working on your own stuff, then meeting up later? Yeah, cool. What about sitting on the couch with cats and ice cream watching Netflix? Yeah, cool. Reading in bed together? Sometimes sex? Yeah, cool. I love Katamari. Yeah, cool. This American life? Yeah, cool. Sometimes you can be so unhappy with things that are good. An inexplicable current was pushing me north. I had to say goodbye to LA's ersatz utopia. Of course I needed to get back on my meds, but I wasn't ready for Portland yet. A comic book show in the Bay Area where I could maybe make some money was coming up. I suggested Chris and I could extend our nerd bonding with a road trip by loading his van with Craigslist rideshares plus me. Then I called friends in the Bay Area who might have a spare room. Then I had this great mantra that you can't unsee things, and you can't undo things, but you can unfinish them. <laughs> the electric shocks, oh, from going off my meds, I was having all these side, side effects. The electric shocks had mostly subsided, but I was losing weight and still feeling jumpy. Good thing my food stamps renewed, so I only had to shoplift a few things. Over Skype, I patched things up with the girl in New York. I had left feeling so betrayed and righteous, but maybe I had overreacted. We were both wrong, we were both hurt, and we were both mixing booze with pills. What else did I expect? Maybe we could give this open relationship thing another try. In any case, seeing each other sooner rather than later was essential for a new beginning. I updated my Facebook status, and she looked for plane tickets. At the show, sales were crap, but I couldn't stay at the table anyway. My arthritis, aggravated by couch surfing, poor diet, and constant stress, had morphed into an aura of burning and stinging. Friends in New York and LA had donated leftover meds to the impromptu stash I kept in an old Altoids tin. I swallowed a few Oxycontin with a couple slugs of Trader Joe's whiskey, not realizing the tsunami it would store up in my gut. I staggered down the convention hall, rubbing my belly and doing my deep breathing exercises. It was clear by Sunday that I was coming down with the flu, too. And then I, I thought maybe the nipple was the serif of the boob. Does anybody do typography, you know, the serifs? <laughs> um, these were some thoughts from a comic book show 
called Ape in uh, San Francisco. I was trying to draw all the comics dudes. There's like, when you go to a comic book show, there's like always a guy that's wearing one of those Guayabara shirts. There always is. Your heart is a lesbian. Your brain is a filter. <laughs> How was I supposed to know Oxy's made you nauseated? I felt like a boiled frog stuffed inside a hornet nest and drop kicked off a cliff. I said the foggy cheeks of San Francisco sit on Oakland. The family is the first battleground. Right? Like birth, that's hard. That's like the first person you meet and she's like, get out. <laughs> My friend Renee says that I should crosshatch more, that it's good for me. Our romantic reunion, this is with the girl in New York was supposed to conclude with an ayahuasca ceremony at her friend's house in the Oakland Hills. Shivering and barely conscious, I obviously couldn't participate now. Downstairs in a spare room, I flailed in bed with cold sweats and frequent bathroom visits, while upstairs they chanted and vomited. At one point, I woke up to a woman sobbing and feared it might be my date, but she visited me later, grinning and wiggling with a weird energy. While I held her, she told me she had a sexual experience with God. Cool, maybe this open relationship could work out after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they dragged me into this room with all these hippies, and I was just like, oh, I'm sick. And just, Don't let him touch my sacred pillow. <laughs> that was it. Thank you, folks. Appreciate it. Wow. Um, maybe I could do a little QA. Is anybody. Questions? Anya, please. Do you do a stand up comedy? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I do not. Cartooning's hard enough. Yeah, yeah, I got enough. Stand up, yeah. Like it's... Comics are so great. I mean, comic books. Comics who stand up and talk, they're great too, but yeah, yeah. That's confusing to do both comics and comics. Yeah. That's why I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I actually do have an idea. I don't know how appropriate the question is, but um, I was reading this really disturbing article about Roger Ailes, the guy who managed Fox TV, uh-huh. and it's been brought down by um, sexual harassment. But a really, really compelling art, art, um, article just came out in New York Magazine. I know some writers there, so I've, I've seen it before the public's seen it. And this poor woman had a mental health problem, and she was like brought through the hoops by this guy. She did a real open memoir about what that experience was. And the fact that her mental health was so shaky made it absolutely compelling. Sure. And it just made me feel, it really made me feel and feel and feel and feel. So I'm thinking about... What's that book called? It it was in New York Magazine. Oh, okay, New York. And it's an article. Do you have that here? (laughs) Yeah. They've got that here at Skylight. And because I'm the editors, I don't know exactly what's coming out. Um, But... So I'm thinking about mental health issues also, and um, and how people take advantage 
And I'm just wondering, you know, since you're so open about your experience, can you talk a little bit about what your concerns were, you know, what felt harmless to you, what felt okay, where you feel boundaries should be? Um, I'm just really curious. I like that. That's such an open question. I'm going to try to clarify it. Um, so you were asking me what that felt like being a mentally ill person, being around non-mentally ill people who were basically my caretakers, and I had to navigate their world. It's like a really hostile world towards anybody. Sure. And then what if you are openly identified as somebody who who people, other people should be concerned about? You know? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's tough. It's very tough, and it's it's a real gray line, too, because, you know, I think... I thought about this a lot because, you know, the feedback that I get often from friends and family is how do I know how much of it was mental illness and how much of it was just you being an asshole? And I'm like, I don't even know that. How would I know? Maybe being, maybe being antisocial is the definition of being mentally ill and therefore how could you ever really accommodate the two? You know, to be mentally ill is to be asocial and that's not okay. Like, you need to be integrated back into society. So that's really tough, because everybody wants you back in, but everybody's help is, is often not helpful. Do you ever feel, like, vulnerable? Do you feel more vulnerable around other people? Did you ever feel, like, potential victim? Like, being, you know, like in this, being in this vulnerable state? I felt especially vulnerable and abused by cops. Yeah, I found that they wouldn't really listen if I said, like, hey, I'm off my meds, or I have post-traumatic stress disorder, or I have arthritis, you know, please don't put cuffs on me and throw me in the back of your hard plastic seat. But they always did. <laughs> uh, yeah. The employment I just don't talk about it. The last time I looked for a job, I went on my Facebook, and I deleted everything that had to do with being mentally ill. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel the book helps you deal with what you're going through. Yeah. There were like two different stages, right? When yeah. Working as on an, in, in real time, and then Yeah, it took me three months to draw half that book, and it took me three years to finish the other half. So that was really hard, and I would not have done that. It was not rewarding. I did not like it. I'm sorry I did it. <laughs> <laughs> what about it didn't I think the best thing for me about doing books like this, and I, I mean, ultimately, I would like this to be helpful, especially to people who are mentally ill and to get more dialogue going about it, because there are a lot of people that are really struggling and a lot of confusion by their loved ones, and they don't know what it's like for people who are going through crazy stuff. So I thought, this is what it's like for me. But there is an element of it, too, of me saying, like, hey, now all my friends can read my story and my words and... This, you know, I guess there's a personal aspect of it, of like, that, that's where it was helpful. Yeah, I got to tell my story. I got closure on my own. Yeah, do you put it all down. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, no, they always say ignorance is bliss, right? Like, what's the opposite of that, right? Don't don't be so smart. So I think yeah, that's that's tough. You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that can make someone who's mentally ill not feel integrated with society. There are you know usually people that are 
my friend Amy keeps trying to get me to use the term neurologically diverse, but I guess you know the theory is that well, I have you know a lot of difficulty doing day to day things like going grocery shopping, but hey, I can draw all these scribbles, <laughs> so it's not really like good for me it's it's more like a trade off That'd be neat. That'd be neat. You know, I have arguments with my coworkers sometimes, and afterwards I'm like, wow, I was being aggravated and manic. Those are my symptoms, you know. I was being a jerk. <laughs> and I apologize, but I wish I could say, this is something that happens to me sometimes because I've got mood problems. Sorry, you know, this is a bad day for me. Sure. Reading. Cultivate a more compassionate society in general because maybe not everyone has bipolar disorder, but they have some other kind of thing. Like, you know, everyone has, like, something that they're dealing with. Sure. But because because society has to run smoothly, there's sort of a lack of compassion. Because if you stop and have compassion for every person that crosses your path, it can be disruptive. Um, but it makes, it makes things less compassionate and more difficult and more alienating for everybody. Sure. And I don't want to sit around talking about being a victim all the time or being, you know... Well, no, I mean, I think... I want, to, I want to be as normal as possible and not talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I think if your gifts can be accessed in a way where you're comfortable, that should happen. Sure. It doesn't even seem like it's a sudden yes on that. Sure, sure. Thanks. Do you, um, you describe this as like a as like a breakdown, like a mental, mental breakdown, and, and you know, and and, and the. And the, and the title is losing losing your mind. It's all kind of like it's so hard to hard for words to 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 carry what are, what you went through. Um, it when it do you feel like in retrospect when you went when at, when looking back on it when you when you went through it, did you feel like it was actually a dis, like a thing that was like a decisive break, or was it like a culmination of things already in motion? Like did just a bunch of things happen to converge? Or did you feel like it was just like a, like a, or it just kept getting worse. You know, I mean, that's the sad thing about being crazy is that you, and being broke, being poor, being a a poor person who has health problems and no insurance and is that, yeah, it just snowballs, you know, I mean, it it went from losing a 10 year relationship and losing a dear friend and losing my job to losing my place to stay to getting beat up by a stranger to, you know, being off my meds in a strange city to being homeless for, for three months and that those things, it just kept happening, and I, I, I didn't know what I was doing or how to stop that. I kept thinking I was pulling out of it. It just it felt like a total nosedive. And what was the rap? What, what brought you the other It's really nice to have friends just let me come stay at their place. No questions asked or whatever, you know. M- minimal, minimal advice, I think. I think that's the unfortunate thing a lot of people don't realize around psychotic people is they're, they're not going to take your advice at that moment. <laughs> it's no good to like tell someone who's really raging that, hey, maybe you shouldn't have another drink because it's too late. <laughs> yeah, that path's already been decided. You know, once, once you get to a certain point, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing will take you back. Is there an internal mechanism for hope where you start to build? Is it, how does it work yeah, I like this. So the question is, where is that hope and how, how do things keep getting better? I think it's just a matter of time. I think, you know, when you get hurt, 
you have to heal. And it took me two or three years to get over this. That's, you know, nothing else was going to change that. Nothing would have made it happen faster. Do you think your drive to make art Yeah, I'm really happy with it. I read it a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah. My other book, Couch Tag, I spent eight years on, and it's very detailed and and just tried to be the perfect book I could possibly make. And this one was kind of an experiment. And frankly, I like this one better. But I mean, they both have they're, they're both fun. <laughs> Anya. Did you go through? Uh, what was your process, or how did you become inspired to make the visuals? Because they're very specific. You have very That was part of my process, honestly. Like I, this, the, it wasn't just a sketchbook at first. It also had like all my maps because I didn't have a phone, so I just got on the library computer and I drew like maps of New York and Brooklyn so I could get around. And it had all my lists of friends. I, you know, I'm always making lists of friends. I, I think I feel unloved or something. <laughs> These are all the people I know in this city. These are all. The <laughs> So it had all those things in there, and then a lot of embarrassing notes, so I would cross things out, and then, or, or I might just start scribbling, or I would spill ketchup on a page, and then I would just do a very sketchbooky thing and just kind of Dadaistically let it emerge from that. So there were a lot of like kooky monster heads that just came out of nowhere, like the same way that you, you say might happen if your eyes were closed and you were just letting images pop up. So yeah, I, I didn't realize that, but I guess I was deliberately trying to hallucinate. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> On the page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Evoke something. Yeah. I think that's so cool. You have lists of friends. You're making mm-hmm. lists of friends. That's mm-hmm. just, like, so... That's so beautiful. Oh. Um, so, did those lists stay the same? Or did people move around on the list? Did they get added? Or jump off? There, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of shifting around. There was a lot of... Yeah, there was a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never gonna see him again. <laughs> yeah. Well, ah, uh, thanks for coming. I just finished up. Hey, good to see you. Uh, wait, wait, was there any more questions? Or? Anybody got a question? I just. Did you feel? Um, I mean, you, you know, it's. Did you feel like in in uh, in balance and retrospect? It it seems like the experience uh, on an aesthetic level changed your work um, like do you feel that did you, do you feel like it opened you up to, to, to uh, open up your style in ways that you weren't expecting where, where would you go next like this was all I was able to do you feel like it was already all there there was nothing intentional about this and it was it was really hard to try to recreate that stuff I mean you know when you're like totally high and crazy and you know having personalities and feelings and thoughts that, that I will never have again, you know, being people I, I wasn't. And then having to go back and try to recreate that was really difficult. So I think there's elements of this book that stylistically I might use again, but I guess it's just like, I'll do it unintentionally. You know, I, I, I guess I've developed some muscle memory for how to scribble better. But. Well, you have a very tight kind of 
like yeah. a deliberate style before. That yeah. was like very, you know, it was like a very kind of um, deliberate draftsmanship. And this is what you're, how you're describing it is like totally the opposite of that. I couldn't draw like I used to anymore. So that's kind of... I would sit down and I couldn't make decisions about shapes and contours. Uh-uh. Yeah, everything, I could only push things together. I could only evoke something or let a drawing come together if I deliberately tried to, you know, use use metrics like I had used before as a cartoonist or draw ruled lines or lettering or anything like that. I just, I couldn't do it. I just, my brain didn't work that way anymore. But so do you feel like you've kind of, like, reverted back to how you were before this experience? Or do you think you're kind of a mix? Did you see that movie Altered States? <laughs> I hope I'm a mix. I think I'm a better person for this, sure. Yeah. yeah. But you were totally honest through everything, right? You just, <clears throat> you just totally No, no. You've always got to hide some things. You accentuate the, the few things that, that you want people to, yeah, no. I can't be honest about everything. If I was honest in that book about all the people I was mad at and all the crappy little thoughts that I had, that would have been a horrible book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was good to edit a lot of things out of that book. Well, if we're done with the question portion, um, I'd love to have, I encourage everyone to buy a book. It's more than just a book. It's really an art piece. And um, I'm sure Jesse will stick around and sign a copy for you. And thanks for coming out. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.